Thank you for checking out the podcast of Eastern Assembly of God in Baltimore, Maryland. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us at www.easternassembly.org. Well, it's an honor to be here again. I'm glad three people were excited I'm here. Praise the Lord. My wife and my kids wave at you. They're here with me, and they're excited to be here. You just don't know how hard your head is until it actually hits something really hard. And, uh, but uh, I'm grateful to the Lord. Um, I'm going to sit down to share this today, not just because of what happened. It kind of, that makes it easy, but I've been preaching the message that I have for uh, since last November, and um, I've just come to realize, I don't know if it's, you know, I mean, those of you that have seen me, you know, I enjoy putting my ears back and blowing the pipes out and preaching, um, but I've come to realize that some messages are better shared than preached, and I think this is one that, that is better shared. Um, I just want to thank Pastor and his wife. Can we give them a hand? And um, He came into my life when um, I was in junior high, and he was much, much older, and uh, glad that he's still much, much older. No, I'm just kidding. A little older. Um, and he got me turned on to reading the Bible and praying because uh, as any good junior hire, you give them a little incentive, they'll do anything. So an ice cream social was at the end of the summer, the incentive, and I, uh, I started reading my Bible and praying, and and that really started to change my life and ground my life. And uh, we've, we've, we've done uh, not all of life, but a lot of, a lot of life. And uh, we feel like they're as much family as they are friends anymore. And so it's just great to be here. Wasn't worship amazing? Just the presence of the Lord in this place. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to sit down and, and share a few things, uh, if that's all right. Um, You know, it's not, it's not what's new that sets us free, it's what's true. I don't know that anything I'm going to share today is going to be a new, uh, a new thing to everybody, but I can tell you that we need what I'm going to share, we always need to keep in front of us. Is that fair? Uh, I hope to encourage you with the heart of God today as well as challenge you with his heart um, if we're not challenging you and you're not getting irritated and upset at times, then we're not doing our job. We're just not. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that those that God loves, he chastens those that are his sons and daughters. Uh, you know, if, if, if I don't do the hard things with my kids, then they'll grow up and they'll hate me for that because they'll look back and go, you had the ability to correct this in me. And you chose not to. Come on, are you here? And so uh, it's not going to be that heavy. I just realized I painted a very heavy picture. It's not going to be that heavy, I promise you. I'm like, like, so it must be the staples and the sound waves. And so anyways. So, um, but I do want to, um, so, you know, when I was growing up, I used to always pray and it's still on my heart. Uh, I'd read through the Bible, and this was while I was in high school. 
uh, I would notice the, this phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Um, not much taught on the kingdom of God per se and the kingdom of heaven. And, and if we're not careful, uh, and again, I'm not, I, I go all over the country from Catholics to charismatics. So anything I talk broadly about is not necessarily this church, just as a disclaimer. Um, but if we're not careful, we can take our culture as a church and we can take our way of doing things and we can think that's the kingdom of God. And, and there's a lot of kingdom of God in it. But that doesn't mean everything that we do is the kingdom of God. And so I just want to go on a journey with you and talk about uh, one key principle that I believe is the kingdom of God that we, we just need to keep in front of us. Um, and... You know, very clearly in Scripture, the Bible says that the kingdom of God, Paul writes very clearly, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Um, so we are grateful in this house, and you can say yes and amen, that the Holy Ghost is welcome here. Because these churches that don't welcome or operate in the Holy Spirit, I don't know how they think they're even going to do anything in the kingdom, because... Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come on, are you here? So we've got that going for us, and we're grateful for him and his presence in our lives and what he's doing in us. Um, there are things about Jesus' kingdom, though, that are other types of things that aren't spelled out in black and white. And one of those things is, you know, and if you're taking notes, I guess the title of my message today is, The Kingdom of God Is... The way of love. The kingdom of God is the way of love. And we need to understand that as dark as we feel or think the world is now, and it has its darkness, would we all agree? Um, I don't know if it's any darker or just with the advent of everything being instantly in front of us and the media thinking that darkness and bad things are what they need to promote and show that it seems like it's dark and getting darker. Uh, but I want you to journey with me to when Jesus decided to come. When time and space connected with eternity and Jesus showed up. It was much darker than it is now. Uh, there was the religious institution and there was the government that was there at the time. And the religious institution had no revelation of God as a loving father. None whatsoever. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the idea of God being father was about 17 times versus 230-some in the New Testament. And when it was listed as Father God, it was a very abstract, out there, away from us, not relational kind of thing. So much so that if you'll remember the story of Moses saying to the Israelites, hey, let's us go up the mountain, the Israelites' response was, no, 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 no. That's your friend. Because they saw the thunders, they saw the lightnings, 
They thought at the time God was an angry God. And they're like, no, you go up, you hang out with your friend, you come back and you tell us what he says. And so there is not only that idea, not that idea of God being a father, but there's also not the idea of God really being a relational, loving God without about a zillion stipulations. And he started with 10, and the leaders, by the time Jesus got there, added another 400 plus, so much so that they couldn't even keep up with them or do them. Because you'll remember in uh, the book of John, uh, they brought the woman caught in adultery, right? They marched her right up to Jesus in the middle of him teaching. And yet Deuteronomy says, wherever you find two, it's hard to commit adultery with one person. That's a whole nother title. So the guy's not there. I think he was there. I think he was part of the leadership that brought her in. See how messed up it was and how twisted it was? And that was in the government of the religious community. As it related to the world and the Greeks that they were a part of, man, let me tell you, as much as you may not like the way things are for you today, ladies, you can be glad you didn't live then. Barefoot and pregnant was an understatement. No voice, no sound, second class, the whole way, a means to an end for the male patriarchy. And then kids, holy Toledo. Do you realize that kids were treated less than livestock back then? They were property. Because Jesus didn't just come from the Jews. He came for all the Greek world and the world at large, right? So can you imagine when Jesus sat there and the kids were running around coming to him and they shushed the kids away. It wasn't like, you know, I'm sitting here preaching or teaching or sharing and, and you got little kids running around and we go, okay, you know, take them out or, you know, uh, let's just sit them up. You know, you need to be quiet. It wasn't that at all. It was this idea that they were so less than and it was so beneath them being around Jesus that he stopped everything in their culture can you imagine them, like they didn't feel like they were doing wrong by removing them? And Jesus gathers them up and says, hey, not only do you let them come to me, thank you very much, but unless you become like them, you can't even see the kingdom of God. He's just always dropping wrenches in the machine. So that's the culture that he entered into. You realize when Jesus came, there were no hospitals, no welfare programs, no orphanages. So much that we understand as the way of our community and even around the world now is because of who Jesus is and what he came and did. That was the darkness that he walked into. So much so did his kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy with the currency and the conduit of it being love. So much did it threaten 
the religious world and the governing world that Luke's gospel, Luke records, the day that Jesus died, the head of the Romans and the head of the Jews became friends that day. The friend of my friend, the friend, the, uh, how's that go? The, the friend of my, the enemy. Anyways, they became friends. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And this is the world that he brought his kingdom in and the conduit and the currency of it was love. And so we want to talk about that. We want to be reminded of it today to see if there's anything tactically we need to adjust in ourselves, to see if maybe we need to experience that love again, fresh, or maybe for the first time. And this is a familiar scripture. Again, nothing should be earth-shattering in and of the words that are said, but the, the profoundness of it. John three sixteen. For God so loved, he gave. That's the crux of it. That's the bottom line of everything. But it's not just a four spiritual laws lead somebody to Jesus scripture. And yet we learn it that way and we relegate it to that and that being a part of coming to know him. But there's so much more to it. For God so loved, he gave his only son. So we back up and all of a sudden we begin to realize that God is changing things when Jesus comes. Because it's not a God outside of humanity that goes, you want you or you or you or Pastor Ed, you go up the mountain, you talk to the thunder and the lightning, and you come back and you tell us what he said. No, no, no. This is a God that's always been there going to change things forever because it's not just a God sending a, a servant or a slave. This is God the Father loving the world and not just humanity. The word there is the whole cosmos. It's everything that he breathed life on in the first seven days. He's redeeming all of it through his son. For God the Father so loved this world that he gave. The Message Bible says it this way. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And therefore, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have a whole lasting life. There's four words for love in, our, in the Greek. Actually, there's more, but in our Bible that'll reference four. One's eros love, it's the erotic love. It's the love that we have in that fire passion for our spouses. There's stoige love, which is a parent to a child love. There's phileo love, which is where we name Philadelphia. It's the Brotherly love. It's supposed to be the city of brotherly love. Somehow they think they forgot that and they thought it was the city of brotherly hate. And man, you do not want to go into their stadiums with an opposing team's jersey. You might not make it out, at least not with your jersey. And then there's this word agape, which is a accepting, embracing, unconditional towards you, come as you are, love. 
Although there was this one condition to make it work, God sent his son. So while it's free to us, there's really nothing free because Jesus chose to make himself like us, make himself of no reputation and come and be the one that leads us to the Father. Does that make sense? And so as we move forward in this today, I want to just read to you what love is founded on, what, what the definition of love is, and I want to I try and encourage you today. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledges, revelations, and if I have the gift of faith and I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship but I do not have love, I am nothing. It's not saying that those things won't work and they won't benefit others. Your gifts will work. It's just the reality that if you're doing this to define yourself and your identity and your worth in and of you and in Christ, you're missing the point. God did not call us to be human doings. Now, we will do. James is clear. But it's not an outside-to-in work where we define our worth and our value based on what we do. It is a value and a worth based on whose we are and the relationship with, with the one that can bring value to us without doing a thing. Does that make sense? And a lot of times, the reason we turn and we become people who, even in church, do things to gain our worth and to gain our value is because of the lack of emotional connection and the lack of emotional health that our parents gave us in laying the foundation of our lives. It's amazing how many people I pray with, and we begin breaking down their relationship with their mom and their dad and and invariably as I'm asking for emotional connection they will say well you know my dad my mom they loved us because there was a food over our head or a roof over our head food in our belly clothes on our back and I say yeah and orphans have that too there's a food that your soul needs, just like your body as you grow up. It's called emotional, bonded, healthy, connected food. It's called being loved, being accepted, being affirmed, being approved, being safe, being being. This is the emotional food that your soul needs to grow healthy where it's being given to you and you're receiving it and there's no exchange of, of payment. 
And so because you still need that, like a starving child would, then you go out and you look to do something to gain that. When you shift that, in that moment, your identity becomes about worth and value based on what you do, not on who you are. And that's why Paul, in, in, in a layer of this, is writing, you can do all these things. And I'm so glad Paul put in there, you can give all your possessions to the poor because, you know, sometimes, you know, I've had faith, but I haven't seen mountains move, not in the conventional sense of earth. Come on, are you here? I don't even know what tongues of angels is necessarily. I don't know that I've fathomed like Paul all the mysteries of God, but I can I can pay for somebody's groceries. I can fill a gas tank. So what Paul's doing there is he's including everything that represents what would be flowing out of us to others. And if you take that as your identity, then you fall short. Does that make sense? But I have good news. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay in that vacuum of emotional disconnect. And we don't have to just experience God in the church when the music's playing and everybody's releasing his glory. We can get to that place one-on-one where God is very relational like a, a loving father. Because this is what Paul says love is. Love is patient. And love is kind. And those two together are important because they, they carry the same weight as love. Because of the is there, you could say love equals patience. Love equals kindness. You want to know what love is in the foundations of what it is? It's kind and it's patient. And it's God. That's good news. Patience is the ability to endure difficult people. <laughs> Hallelujah, I'm in there. Difficult, no, I don't endure. I'm the difficult people. And God is enduring that. Praise the Lord. The ability to endure difficult people in situations without giving in to anger or giving up hope. God is in the business of never losing hope in you. This is the gospel, folks. This is the too good to be true gospel. Because some of you, because of your own choices or others' choices, people around you have lost hope. I submit to you today as you hear this that there is one greater than those around you who never has, is not, and will never lose hope in you. And just because you can't experience it at times with whatever's jammed up in you does not suspend his ability for it to be so. A few years back, I preached in this house, life does not read your Bible. 
The day that you equate life to God, you are going to be sadly disappointed. Because when life is good, God is good. When life is bad, you're in an identity crisis now because you've equated to life, to being the gospel, to being God, and it is not the same. I had somebody come up to me one day and said, I just don't understand. I'm so upset. I said, tell me. Well, I quote Psalm 91 all all the time where, you know, God will never let his angels to dash my feet on the rocks. And I feel like my feet are getting dashed on the rocks all the time. And I'm like, did you read the 15 chapters before that when David is lamenting and he's wondering where God is and his enemies are everywhere and he's going to be overcome and eaten and beat up? And God, where are you? You quoting that one lately? Why are we just quoting the one and not the other? Listen, the Psalms are David's journal in music to express and get out what's there. Now, does that mean God? we just throw our hands up and we don't trust God to, to help us? My goodness, no. I could have ended up like still in the hospital today. I believe God was with me the whole time, even though I took a hit. Thank God I'm a little thick in the head because, you know. But you got to start seeing this from a different perspective. There are times where God supernaturally intervenes and his love is there. But when he doesn't and you're suffering, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He never quits hoping and believing for your life. Why? Because God equals patience. And he's with you. Able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or sufferings without being annoyed or anxious. God is never anxious. And God doesn't get anxious, scratch his head, rip, the, rip, rip his supernatural hair out, so to speak, because you're in a situation that's making you anxious. There were fishermen in a boat with a storm that came up and the boat was sinking. And they were freaking out. They were seasoned fishermen in a boat knowing that they were very close to not being here. They go into the bow of the boat and Jesus is laying there still asleep on a fluffed pillow. That's what Mark writes, a fluffed pillow. Listen, the good news is the guy that is not giving you patience, but his patience lives inside of you. So if you feel like he's always fired up at you, if you feel like when you're making a wrong choice and you're in your own anxiety that he's pulling away from you, I have news for you. It is not Jesus. It is a construct of a God that is not him in your own mind that somehow was created there, but it is not him. And that construct will keep you from feeling his presence until that can be broken down. Not eternally, not forever, but it can hinder your ability to connect with who he really is. Does that make sense? And then it says he's kind. 
He's selfless. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He is goodwill. He is benevolence. He is the attitude which delights in contributing to the happiness of others. He truly has your best interests at his heart, and he can't wait to see those things fulfilled. That's hard when you had parents that said you won't amount to anything. They didn't support you. They didn't engage you. It was, hey, I got mine. You have to get yours. Come on, are you here? See how, see how challenging this is? It's not challenging on his end. He is going to be who he is. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to, don't, uh, in, the, in the Passion Translation, it literally says, quit being of the opinions and the ideas of the culture around you. In uh, another way of saying it, what you grew up in, what printed into your being. Be transformed meaning supernaturally the presence of God has to engage you in these places that you experienced feeling worthless, that you experienced feeling that you're gonna cause God problems, that you experienced feeling that nobody loved you and there's no hope for you. God has got to step in inside of you and you have to experience him there in those places to transform that. But once you're transformed, it never goes back to being the same. That's why for God so loved the world that he gave is not a one-time deal. For God so loved, so-zo life meaning, means a complete changing from day to day, place to place, moment to moment, that what you experience now, there's more that needs transfer, transformed tomorrow. Does that make sense? That's the good news. And then he goes on to say, now these are the adjectives that surround love. These are what prop up and support patience and kindness. God does not envy. Listen, don't be upset if you envy. Let the presence of God work that out in you. We all got stuff we're working through. Come on, are you here? Don't hide it. Acknowledge it to the Father. He wants to have sit-down sessions with you. He wants to love on you. He wants to tell you what you need. I'm going to let you in on something, okay? So... I know this is going to be hard to believe, but I have traveled and preached all over this nation and in places around the world. And there are times where I'll be up front getting ready to speak and this heaviness will come over me and I'll start getting insecure. What are they going to think? Am I going to make it? Is something going to happen? Now, it happens not nearly like it used to, but almost weekly it would happen. And, and I would sit with the Lord and worship and I'd go, God, what lies am I believing? And he would tell me, well, you're believing that, you know, you're not gonna 
succeed. You're believing you're going to misrepresent me. You're believing that you're going to say something wrong and they're going to be upset with you. And on and on and on. And you know, as much as I have worked so many things out of my own life in the prayer process that I do and having people pray with me and I work on things with others, this thing just kind of hangs around. He's never really taken me to a specific moment, but it pops up. And I'll stand there and I'll go, all right, Jesus, because he is the truth. He is patient. He is kind. Come on, are you here? He's not just giving you that stuff out of a toolbox. He is it. So when it comes to you, you're experiencing him. And so I'm like, Jesus, what's the truth? And I kid you not. And I know it's coming, but I need it. All of a sudden, I see this auditorium with one person sitting in the middle of the auditorium, like I'm sitting here now. See this one person, and he's all aglow, and it's Jesus. And sometimes he's got a pen and paper, like he's going to take notes. Sometimes he's got popcorn, like he's ready for the show. But this is what he says to me every time. He says, Nate, you're preaching, you're teaching, you're sharing to an audience of one, and I already approve, so get after it, son. Every time. Every time. Why? Because he is patient. He hopes. He believes. He's kind. Now, what if in those moments of insecurity and heaviness, we could all learn to do that? Because it takes this. Doesn't take long, because the second he speaks and we experience that speaking, it changes everything. Come on, are you here? And now I'll put a plug in. You have a group of people in this house that can help you learn to experience what I just shared with you, led by Katie Booz and her team. So you have no excuses like other people. No excuses like other people. Other churches, they're like, when can, when can we get in with you and your wife? When are you and your wife coming back? Here, you got a team. Put a demand on them. They're good. They're well-trained. Because there is a process, and once you learn it, you can get freed up in the moment. Because everything's not a demon. There's more about truth and lies to your being and you being transformed than you ever realized. Come on, are you here? Listen, love does not boast. Amen, amen. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Listen, if you're prone when somebody else is being celebrated or the lights on them to try and do something to discredit them or... Uh, uh, take the light off of them because for some reason you are insecure and you feel like you need the light, that's a good place to pray and ask the presence of God to love you so that you don't do that anymore because he won't do that to you. Some of you grew up being shamed in order to be taught a lesson. God is not in the shaming business. He's in the shame removal business. 
Some of you brought up with parents that thought, I'll just let them get ashamed or I'll shame them to teach them a lesson. God is not in that business, man. God is in loving and protecting and surrounding you internally with a garden like he did Adam and Eve that protects you, covers you, surrounds you so that you can thrive. Listen, none of us feel like we're, if we don't feel safe, we don't feel like we can be ourselves. We don't feel like we can be vulnerable. We don't feel like we can be Uh, open up. God's love provides an avenue for us to feel free to do that. Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Listen, man, if you have a God that you believe every time you do something wrong gets angry with you, it is not Jesus. He is not in the business of getting angry with you. He's in the business of loving you. Come on, are you here? And check this out. His love keeps no record of your wrongs. So you stop. You stop keeping your own records of yourself, your spouse, your kids. Stop. He is not keeping record. Yet some of you, you still go to God when, when you think about it and you ask him to forgive you. And he's sitting there with the son and the Holy Spirit going, what are they even saying? Is that a new tongue I don't know about? I have no idea what the, this is how much he doesn't remember anything. So maybe rather than go to him, maybe about you, maybe you need to forgive you. Maybe the list that you're keeping is because you need to forgive yourself like God did and let it go because I don't know about you, but I'm not a good God. I beat myself up. I get angry with myself. I torment myself. I'm not a good God. Maybe you, like me, have violated your own conscience at times. Maybe you, like me, have not lived up to your own expectations. And maybe you, like me, are beating yourself up so that not only do you feel bad about yourself, you can't even connect to the presence and the love of God in that way because there's this barrier you have with yourself. Come on, are you here? You beating yourself up and taking lashes against yourself is punishment, and God is not in the punishment business. Mature love casts out all fear, and what's the fear of? It's the fear of punishment. If you study that scripture, God is not in the punishing business. He is in the disciplining business. Those he loves, he chastens, he corrects, like chiropractic. How many of you know if you've been to a chiropractor, that's, that, that's going to hurt, but then you feel good? I had, a whole, I had a whole bone out in my knee that my foot was flailing out, and the guy didn't tell me what he was going to do. And he just, hey, how's the weather? What's going on? You know, how's the kids? Crack! Man, I'm telling you, I couldn't breathe for five seconds. The pain, the first time I ever wanted to reach out and smack somebody right in the mouth. And he just said, listen, man, I'm sorry. If I'd have told you, you subconsciously, you'd have, you'd have been, you'd, you just never let me do it. 
Sometimes God's chiropractor feels like punishment, but it's discipline to get things where they need to be so you can walk in the right way you need to walk. Come on, are you here? But because you were punished and not disciplined growing up, it's hard for you to tell the difference. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. God never fails. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We got saved on it. We grew up on it. But a lot of us don't know 317. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He is not condemning you. He is waiting for you with arms wide open. And that's not just a salvation call. I mean, yeah, if you've never experienced God today, man, come on. It is the too good to be true. That's what gospel means. Too good to be true message. Come on. When we're done and they're playing the music, come on. We'll invite you to experience for the first time the love of God. But this call is an everyday call. What do you need from him? Do you need love? He'll love you. Do you need encouragement? He'll encourage you. Do you need hope? He's the hope giver. Do you need your disappointment removed? Come on. Come into daddy's heart, so to speak, come into his den, sit on his lap, and let him love you. You're never too old to not be his kid. As a matter of fact, when you die, you're just scratching the plate on eternity. That's how young you are. Pastor and I were talking and he said, won't it be great to just sit with the great men and women of God that you always wanted to sit with one for a million years, get up, go sit with another one for a million years, get up, sit with another one, because it goes on forever. We're just ramping up, guys. And some of you are so tormented because you've not experienced his love. You swear sitting here right now, hell can't be any worse than what you're dealing with in the 12 inches between your ears and your heart. I get it. A new commandment Jesus says I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this you will know they will know that you are disciple my disciples if you love one another. It's not they'll know you by your love for me. They'll know you by your love for one another. We can love the world. We can love God. But when the world sees how we deal with each other, that's where the rubber's meeting the road. Come on, are you here? Listen, I understand this. I got three kids. When I walk in the house, my voice speaks. It levels the playing field. Any of you had families and been brothers and sisters? Dad walks in, good or bad, dad can change everything. It's just the way it's set up. But the scripture says how wonderful and beautiful it is 
when brethren, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, that is like the anointing going down over Aaron, his beard and his vestments. That requires the love of God. Does that make sense? So the way of his kingdom is love. A father gave his son and his son says, I have come to lead you to the father. And it's all about giving. The love of God in your life compels you to give. The, it is the motivation. And we already took up the offering, so I'm not setting you up. <laughs> but it's so much more than your money. It's the joke. We prize gold, right? But in the book of Revelation, gold is pavement in the kingdom. The conduit is love. The currency is love. And that love compels us to give. Yeah, it can be finances, but it's so much more. The other day, my son got his permit. Pray for us. No, he's doing great. And my wife suggested we take him for breakfast, so we did, and I felt the Lord leading me. There was a guy in the back of the restaurant. There was just us and him. He had his cowboy hat on, uh, and, and I walked by him. I went in to wash my hands, walked by him, nodded. God, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me, talking to me about going over to him. I went back to our table. We ate for a while. I said, hey, I gotta, I, I'll be right back. stood there with him and I said, hey, listen, man, I don't know if you're a person of faith, but I said, God wants to encourage you today. He wants you to know he loves you. He wants you to know you're not alone. I don't know what you're going through, but you're not walking through it alone. And I could see, you know, he's, you know, man, holding back the the moisture in his ears, in in his ears. (laughs) It's those staples, I'm telling you, in his eyes. Better be holding back the moisture in his ears. Pray for that in Jesus' name. And I said, listen, I don't, I don't want to make this weird or awkward. I said, but I said, I'm a person of faith and I want to pray for you. And without batting an eye, he took his hat off, put his arm up, put his head down. And I'm like, cool. Grabbed my arm, prayed, got done. He's wiping tears from his cheeks. Never going to see him again. There's times where we pay for people's things, never gonna see them again. There's so many people that just need an encouragement. Hey, you look good today. Hey, that dress is really pretty. Hey, that's a nice shirt. Or just a smile. Hey, I hope you have a good day. Can't imagine how many people are right on the edge and going, if somebody would just notice me, maybe I won't take my life tonight. It is not a hard thing to love people the way Jesus loves. That's why we need to experience him on a regular basis because that love that he gives us, then we are compelled to give it out ourselves. They will know that we are his by our love for one another. Does that make sense? Let's bow our heads today.
If you're here with us today, you happened into this place. And you would say, listen, Nate, I can't say that I've ever experienced that kind of love in my life from Jesus or anyone. But man, I want to turn things around. I want to turn my life over. I want to experience his love and his presence in my life never had that initial encounter that you're talking about, let alone on a daily, weekly basis. I just don't want to miss this opportunity to pray with you. If you've never been awakened to his love, never been awakened to the heaviness of your wrongs being lifted off of your life, the purpose of the cross, would you be so kind so that I can pray with you if that's never been your journey yet, but you want it to be? Would you just slip your hand up so that I can pray with you? Anybody in this building? Yep, yep, I see those hands, yep. You can put them down. Anybody else? How about others? You say, I'm weary. I need, I need a reset. I feel so alone. I feel so empty. I just need God's love. Yeah, I see. Can we just all stand? pray together, those that raised your hand to say, I need Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're all going to pray it together. We're going to invite Jesus to come into these places inside of us and awaken us to his presence and his life. lift the heavy burden that we carry of our own lives off of us. There were about half a dozen people raised their hand to say, hey, never had that, never experienced that, would love to. I want you to say this with me. Jesus, I need you. I'm alone and I'm weary and I've never experienced your life my life. I, I receive your forgiveness of all the things I've done wrong, all the things I thought I've done wrong, and all the heaviness I carry with that. I release the weight of my sin. I give it to you. And I receive your love and your grace. I ask you to awaken me by your spirit to your spirit, to your life living inside of me. I give you permission to take up residence 
and to renovate. In Jesus' name. Now, for those of you that raised your hands as it related to just feeling a distance, feeling disconnected, the first thing we're gonna pray is for those that just simply need to forgive themselves because when you lift that off of you, when you forgive yourself, a lot of your receptors open up to be able to connect with Jesus again. So I want you to just pray this with me. If this isn't your prayer, I still want you to just pray it under your breath. Let's just, for those of you that have violated your own conscience, for those of you that have not met your own expectations, for those of you that have regrets and resentments or just simply are beating yourself up. We wanna pray this together right now. So let's pray this. Jesus, by an act of my will, I choose to forgive myself for the things that have violated my conscience for the expectations I haven't met, for the regrets that I have, the resentments I have, and I release all these things with the guilt, the humiliation, and the shame, and all the weight these things have carried in my heart and mind. And I let it go in Jesus' name. Now I want you to raise your hands. And I'm going to pray this for all of you. Jesus, right now, I pray that you will begin to fill all of your sons and daughters from the inside out, from where you live in their spirit, Flood them in their souls. Begin to flood them with your peace and your presence, Holy Spirit. I pray some of them need a hug, Lord. I pray that you'll begin to help them feel your love wrapping around them right now. Literally, tangibly, some of you feeling an arm on your shoulder, a touch on your, on, on your arm the warmth of the love of God beginning to flood the places of your soul. And here's what we're going to do. partners forward. We have people that are uh, designated to pray, have been trained to pray. I just want you to come forward right now. Altar workers, thanks. There were a lot of hands that went up. We're going to begin to sing Good, Good Father. For those of you that raised your hands to receive Jesus, we want to take that another step with you if you feel comfortable. We just want you to come say, hey, I prayed that initial prayer. We want to continue to pray with you if you have time. Uh, 
and, and just work with you on that. For everyone else that's here, we have a few minutes left. We're gonna just start worshiping God. Uh, the prayer partners are here. My wife and I are here. And we just wanna minister to you in a way that we can't collectively hear. So I'm gonna turn the service back over to pastor and let him just direct it from here. And I'm gonna turn the mic off and my wife's gonna come up here with me and across this room, we're just gonna begin to worship God. You, we're gonna be able to pray and believe God to make the deeper connections. Amen. Amen. If, you, if you need ministry, I want you just to come out, come on and find someone of these prayer people that are gonna pray with you. And I'm just gonna ask before you go, would you just sing this song one time through? and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Just let make that message of the love of God real to you. We're not going to have an official dismissal at such time you feel like you need to go slip out quietly. Let's just let the Lord do what he wants to do.